last week I talked about, <clears throat> above all else, as we head into our new year, above all else, the writer of Proverbs says in, ch- in chapter 4, guard your heart above all else, for it is the wellspring of life. But he begins that section, that passage of Scripture in verse 20 by saying, my son, and he's writing to a father to a son, but it's applicable to us because Proverbs are timeless words, the eternal words of God. He says, my son, be attentive to my words. I have a passion that Grace Church be a church of God's word, that we be attentive to God's word. I believe there is no more important foundation and no more important commitment in Grace Church than our commitment to and defense of the word of God. I believe that whatever good things that you have seen this year, whatever wonderful testimonies you hear this year, it's because God has been faithful and has manifested, revealed himself to us through the Bible. As we have been faithful to be a church of God's word. It is why every Sunday morning, the very first thing we do before we start singing is we have one of the men standing here opening up God's Word and beginning a a reading from Scripture that we might fix our eyes, fix our hearts and our minds on God Himself. We are a church and we are to be a church of God's Word. And as as we move into our second year, more than ever, I want our love and commitment and I want our investment in God's Word to grow and to define us. And I believe a, a passage this morning, Psalm 19, aptly reminds us both of the necessity and the benefits of our Christian life being anchored in Scripture. So turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 19. <clears throat> Throughout the, the fall, we have done a, we've gone through a series on Psalms. We've talked about the different genres or types of Psalms that there are. We've been through most of those genres. And this morning, as you would notice in a number of Psalms, sometimes the genres are, are mixed. You'll have two or three different types of Psalms in a psalm. And so in this psalm, in Psalm 19, you have two. You have a, you have a hymn. This, this psalm is both a hymn and it is a wisdom psalm. And it's written by David. Psalm 19 is a profound, a profound and moving statement of the, do, the doctrine of divine revelation. That's what Psalm 19 is about. It's about the doctrine, the teaching, the expression of God's divine revelation in both the world and in his word. That's what Psalm 19 is about. It divides this revelation into two main categories, general revelation, which is God revealed in the world, and special revelation, which is God revealed in his word. In the early days, David, while keeping his father's flock, devoted himself to the study of two great books written by God. Two great books written by God. David David saw God's book of nature. He saw God written in nature. 
He saw the greatness of God as you read in verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Think about David as he's watching his flocks by night and he's looking at the myriad of stars that God has created and he sees no end to them and he looks and he just, and these are his words. He's studying the creator. He's studying God and he sees the heavens declare the glory of God. David, while he's watching sheep, hears the praise of God through the stars. But David also not only saw God in nature as he tended his flocks, he met God in Scripture as a faithful servant. See, David's father was a godly man, and David was raised under the Torah, under the instruction book, under the five books of Moses. Now read along with me in Psalm 19 to see David's perspective. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. David, David is, is talking about God revealing himself in nature. God revealing himself in the world. The, the general revelation that we can see when we read that passage, we can see God in nature. But David goes on. And this is the the section that I want us to camp in this morning. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Oh, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, we pray now as a family that you would bring by your spirit illumination of these words that you have written. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us and we ask that you would help us 
to listen this morning. Open our ears to hear that we might be encouraged this morning, that we might be refreshed this morning, that we might be convicted this morning, that we might be transformed this morning as we meet you, encounter you in your words. And Lord, help me in all my weaknesses to love my brothers and sisters this morning through the preaching of your word. Help me to do so in such a way that encourages them. In Jesus' name, amen. I love bookstores. I love Barnes & Noble. I love Books A Million. I love used bookstores more than anything. There's a place in Wales, which my wife and I have been to in the United Kingdom, and it's a town called Hay, the town of Hay, on the Wye River, Hay on Wye. And the town remade itself many, many years ago due to poor economy and Welsh mining. And basically, the town is all used bookstores, about 120 used bookstores in the town. And even the castle on the hill in the middle of the town has a used bookstore in the bottom of it. It is an amazing place. And if you peruse any bookstore, I think you're bound to come across certain titles that kind of make you step back, such as The Mechanic's Bible to Automotive Repair, The Chef's Bible to Healthy Cooking, which to me is more like a book of horror stories, Um, and many other references to the so-and-so's Bible too, the so-and-so's Bible to dog raising, the so-and-so Bible to how to get rid of a cat, the so-and-so Bible, um, just many, using the word Bible. The word Bible gets used a lot in our culture, but for the Christian, for the believer, There's only one Bible, and that is the Holy Bible. And we say it is holy because we believe these are God's words, and He is holy. It is the one infallible, inerrant, all-sufficient, authoritative book where you can learn the truth about God. And Psalm 19 directs us that way. My proposition this morning is this. If you are a faithful student of God's word, you will experience the reward of being transformed by God's word. If you are a faithful student of God's word, you will experience the reward of being transformed by God's word. And I think most in this room have a desire to be transformed. We want to grow. We want to change. If we love God, if we are Christians, we have a relationship with God. We want to become more like Christ. We want to be imitators of Christ. We want to change in the habits that we have that are not God-pleasing. We want to grow and be able to learn how to say no to sin and yes to God. And where is that going to happen? Where is that power going to happen? I remember one of my friend's children decided that he was going to change. He was a teenager. He was fighting with his dad and mom all the time. And he decided he was going to change and he was going to be good. 
And so for two weeks, it was amazing how Trip changed. He was good. And then the third week started, and Trip became Trip all over again. And it wasn't the trip of two weeks, it was the trip of 15 years. And I remember talking to his parents, and, and the mom related to me. She said, yeah, Tripp looked at me and said, I can, only, I can only do it for two weeks. And the mom said, that's exactly right. Without the power of God, that's about as good as it's ever going to get for you. We need to be transformed by the power of God's word. And David's point is this in Psalm 19. There's nothing more transformative in your life than reading the Bible. There's, there's, no, there's no magic potion. Oh, how, how life would be easy for a pastor if a married couple came in with conflict and I opened my drawer and like our dear Dr. Chris Mays pulled out my prescription pad and wrote out, take two of these and your marriage will be all healed in the morning. I'd be out of a job. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Transformation is something that takes time and it is the one place that we can go to to find the power and the truth and the hope to change. And that's what David communicates to us in Psalm 19. Now, verses 1 through 6 are an exposition on how God speaks and reveals himself to you through what has been created. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. I love this. I love the words that David uses to talk about God speaking. God is speaking. He's speaking generally. He's speaking through creation. But what David is communicating is this. God is speaking. When you are out on your deck at night and you're looking at the stars, you may not have your Bible in hand, but God is speaking. When you're standing by the seashore and you're looking at the ocean and you hear the pounding of the waves and you see the vastness of the sea, God is speaking. When you wake up on a spring morning and you see the beauty of the flowers in your garden, God is speaking. When you hear the thunder and the roar of a storm and the pounding of the rain, the Bible says that God is speaking. And he is pouring out speech day after day. Even if you are alone without a Bible, you can hear God speaking in creation. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. You can look at the stars and get a general sense of the wisdom of God and how he created the universe. You can stand in your son's bedroom when he is a year old and sleeping and look quietly upon him and see the wonder of God in the creation of a human being. God is speaking. 
There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. So, so David is saying that in creation, there is no end to God's words. There's no end to listening to the creator, the power of God, the majesty of God, the glory of God being related to you. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from his heat. God is, and, and David is saying, look, of all, of all the things that, that pronounce the power and glory and majesty of God, it's the sun. It's the sun. And he, and he makes this analogy, you can't hide from its heat. And really what he is communicating is you can't hide from God. You can't hide from the word of God, which is active and sharper and alive. You can't hide from the sun. You cannot hide from God. James Boyce says this, the stars and the sun are so glorious that the one who made them must be more glorious still. And that is the purpose of creation is to display the glory of God. And in that glory, God speaks to us. But creation is limited. As loudly as creation speaks, it does not show God's moral qualities. We don't get a picture of the attributes of God like His mercy or his justice, or his love, or his wrath, or his goodness, or his grace, or his compassion. Yes, it testifies to the existence of God and God's power. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans 1, that the world knows that God exists. In Romans 1, Paul writes, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. If all that God ever gave humanity was general revelation, it would still be enough to convict the world of sin. His revelation in nature never stops. But God's creation is not God. It only points to God. And thankfully, God goes beyond his creation to speak to his people. He goes beyond his creation to speak to his people. And he does it through his written word. He speaks to us through his Bible. The inspired, God-breathed, all-powerful, all-sufficient, infallible, inerrant, all-authoritative word of God. He speaks to us. I have never quite been able to understand when somebody comes to me and says to me, God's silent. God is not speaking. Now, I understand what they're saying. They don't feel God. And I get it when they're, they're reading God's word and it seems dry. But God is speaking and has spoken. In verse 7 through 9, David moves from general revelation 
the general revelation of God, of himself, to special revelation. God speaking to his people in words. God speaking to his people in scripture. As much as you might study nature and learn about God and you might be an environmentalist, that's fine. You must make God's word the object of your careful study, devotion, and meditation every day. And so there are two main points I want to make this morning that I believe David makes in Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, he gives us two benefits of knowing Scripture. I want to give you the two benefits of knowing Scripture. I want to inspire you to make 2015, the year of Scripture for yourself. Listen, to, to, the, to the degree and the depth that we individually study God's Word and apply God's Word to our lives is the, to the degree that Grace Church will be the church God has called it to be. We will be weak and I think fruitless if we do not make this word, which this word is all about God. In other words, the purpose of this word is not that I've memorized every passage and, and I worship this Bible. I worship the God of this Bible. And by reading and studying this word, I come to know God. And that's what transforms me. You want to know God this year? This is where you find him. You want to know God's will? This is where you find it. You want to have the power to be transformed. This is where you receive power. You want to have hope. This is where you find hope. You want to find mercy and forgiveness for sin. This is where you find mercy and forgiveness for sin. You want to find joy. This is where you find joy. Two points that David makes. Two benefits of knowing scripture. Number one... Transformation. God's word powerfully transforms you. Transformation. That's a benefit of knowing God's word. God's word powerfully transforms you. And secondly, protection. God's word powerfully protects you. Let's look at the the ways, the the six ways that David speaks of in God's word transforming you. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It revives, it revives you. This, when he's talking about the law here, he's talking about God's law for man's life. He's just not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the law of God's complete instruction on how that we're to live. It's perfect and it's complete. The law of the Lord is perfect. In other words, it's totally complete. It leaves nothing out. There's nothing here in God's word that you can't find to help you. And it's not deficient in any way. And what, what David says here, it starts out, it revives the soul. It revives the soul. It transforms 
the soul, which the Hebrew word for soul here is the word nephesh, which simply means inner person. Your inner person is revived. Your inner person is transformed. The law of the Lord, this perfect law, this complete instruction which God has provided, it will transform you in your inner person. It will revive your soul. Are, are you depressed? Are you fearful? Are you struggling? Are you angry? Are you anxious? The law of the Lord will perfectly revive your soul. This, it's, what David's saying is Scripture is comprehensive in its ability to transform. What kills the soul? If you need reviving, what kills the soul? I'll tell you what kills the soul. Sin kills the soul. Unbelief, doubt about God, hidden faults, hidden sins, living a way that is ungodly and hiding it from others, but God sees it. That's imperfection. That imperfection of sin, that kills the soul. But God's perfect word restores us. God's word has unlimited power to change you. I don't care what your situation is, what enslavement you are battling, what bondage you struggle with, what fears overcome you. God's perfect law, His Word will revive your soul. It will transform you. Secondly, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's Word transforms you by making, it, making you wise. This, this, is a, this testimony, the word testimony is about God's self-revelation. It's about all that God says about Himself. In other words, all that God says about Himself resides right here. What do you want to know about God? This is where you find it. All that we need to know about God is right here. And the reason God's word is worthy of trust, because David says right here, it is sure, is worthy of trust, is that it's connected to reality. The reality that God exists. The reality that God sent his son. God sent his son to make you a new creation. A new creation that is no longer led astray by the culture in our society, the world that you live in. And that that Son has given you His Spirit indwelled in you to counsel you, to direct you, to care for you, to make you wise. The gospel is called foolishness to the world, but it is salvation to us. And it is in God's word that we find salvation and that his sure testimony makes us wise as we learn about God. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's trustworthy. What God says about himself is true. And what God says about himself is true, then what God says about you is true. 
David goes on to say, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts of the Lord. The precepts are simply the doctrines and instructions and principles that we find in His Word. And following these doctrines and principles, they are God's pathway. His Word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. God's Word, God's truth, they are right. There's, there's no error in them. You can read God's Word with complete confidence that when you open up this book and you start to read Scripture, not only do you meet God and hear God speaking to you, but you know what He's telling you is right. It's perfect. And when you can read God's Word to, to address your, an area of your life in some way, and you know it's right. You know there's no error. It brings joy to your heart. Because you know that if you obey God's word, if you follow God's word, you will not go wrong. <clears throat> Even when your culture around you tells you something different. I've watched over the past 15 years as Sadly, Christian parents have been more drawn to the ways of parenting in the world than to the wisdom of God's word in raising their children, in leading their children. And there somehow at times I've watched parents combine the two, try to bring the world and the Bible together and always something gives and it is usually the path of least resistance which is the path of the culture of the world. God's word in parenting, to be honest, is not comfortable. But it is perfect and it is sure and it is right when Hebrews 12 talks about disciplining our children, being painful. That word painful in the Greek actually means painful. <laughs> and yet the world wants to redefine it as something else. And to redefine discipline of children and leading and in correcting, instructing our children, discipling our children into something different that is antithetical to God's word. The precepts of the Lord are right. And when we follow them, Scripture says in Hebrews 12 that if you do discipline your children as God has intended, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And David says here, it rejoices the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's commands have no imperfections in them. Whatever it is that God tells you to do. And God's commands are clear in Scripture. They're not innocuous. They're, they're not fuzzy. They're not confusing. God's commands in Scripture are pure. There's no error in them. 
and they're enlightening. They, they help you see what is right. They give light to the eyes. We can follow and obey God's commands with complete confidence. It's because they'll be right for us. And they'll produce what God desires to produce in us. They're clear. We can understand them. God's word. Yes, at times God's word is a bit confusing. Even Peter wrote in his epistle that sometimes Paul's words are hard to understand. But, but the wonderful word of, of, of God, the scripture, the one thing that, that theologians teach in, when somebody begins to study scripture is that scripture always, always interpret scripture. It's called the analogy of faith. It means that what you don't understand in one passage, God will make clear somewhere else. It takes some work. It takes some study. But you will get there. You have to, you have to go after it. I remember when Marilyn and I were living in Atlanta and she decided one day that she wanted a vegetable garden. And if you live here in the north, you have this stuff here called dirt. It's dark, it's brown, um, and and it breaks up real easily in the ground. In Atlanta, there's this stuff called clay. It's red, and it is, and in the summertime, that's why they build adobe homes with clay because they're hard as cement. And so Marilyn has me out there in mid-May wanting to do a vegetable garden. And I'm out there with a pickaxe for about three hours. I am covered totally in red dust. I look like something from another planet. And I have made about an eighth of an inch into that clay to do that garden. That's how much work it took. And that's the kind of work it takes for us to study the Bible. We have to go after it faithfully, patiently, and we have to be willing to work hard. Because sometimes it's not always clear. Now, what I did was I went and I bought a bunch of four-by-fours and built up a garden and threw dirt in it. And then we had good dirt. That's the smart way to do it. God's Word didn't show me that, but I figured it out myself. So God's commands are pure. Think about how crucial this is when we're walking through suffering and we're walking through trials and we can see all this difficulty before us. What brings us through? Our obedience to the commands of God, trusting that God's commands are right, they're pure, that God's precepts are right, that they're sure and God's word is perfect. These things bring us through. And there David, in verse 9, he, he, he makes a little bit of a move. He says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now, we've been talking about the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, and all of a sudden we jump to the fear of the Lord. What is, what's David after there? What is David trying to communicate? Fear seems to be an unusual word as a characteristic of God's word. But it's meant to describe the effect Scripture has on us. That the effect of God's word on us is to produce 
fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom to produce reverence in us. Ultimately, God's word is designed to produce one thing in us. What is that one thing? It's worship. God's word is designed to produce worship in us. We get many other benefits, but the one thing is to help us to meet God, to know God, that we would worship God. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. God's word produces reverence, and when we fear God, when we are reverent of God, it means that God has changed our hearts It means that we are one of God's. We are no longer someone who sees God in general revelation, but we understand God in special revelation. In other words, we understand God's word. We understand who God is, which means that God has done a work in our hearts. We worship what we love. We worship what we love. And if you you love God, you will worship him. If you fear the Lord, you will worship him. And what I, I love what David says here, it is enduring. It's enduring forever, the fear of the Lord. I, I love that it is, it, it, it's a, it's sort of a, a hidden way of, of saying, um, God will never let you go. You're his forever. The fear of the Lord, this change of your heart, this worship of your heart, it will always be there because you are always His. When you are born again, you are born again. God never lets you go. When Christ died for your sin and you put your faith in Christ, you trusted in Him, you became one of His own, you became one of His own for all eternity. The fear of the Lord, that worship of God in your heart, which is clean, that will endure forever. And finally, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Another word in in the Hebrew for rule is judgments. I think the, the NASB says it a little bit more clearly. The judgments of the Lord are true. In other words, God rightly judges, and judgment will come. God judges for sin. God will judge all of us for our sin, but standing before us is a mediator named Jesus Christ who will take upon himself our judgments, who took upon himself our judgments that we might fear God, that we might see God personally, that we might know him in his word. He took upon our judgments, and and his judgments, God's righteous judgments, they're true. There's nothing wrong. God righteously judges justice. God's justice is always right. And what he, what he placed upon Christ, the judgment he placed upon Christ for our behalf, on our behalf to pay our debt, that was right and true and good. They're righteous all together. His divine judgments are a wonderful warning to us to not stray from God's word, to know that judgment exists. God's word powerfully transforms you. 
But David also lets us know that God's word powerfully protects us. There's protection. Look at verse 10. This is his description. More to be desired are they than gold. Speaking of God's word, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. David continues his masterpiece with an apt description of the Bible. It's better than gold. It's, it's sweeter than honey. God's special revelation far exceeds his general revelation of what we see in nature. More to be desired are they than gold. Gold's pretty cool. <laughs> I like gold. I, I just, again, watching, watching the Discovery Channel Gold Rush and watching these guys go after gold doing it in such cold weather and 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 you know they work for they work for a full week they move thousands upon thousands upon thousands of yards of dirt and they're they're working 12 14 16 18 hours a day things are breaking guys are getting hurt and finally at the end of the week comes the 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 gold the, the pan out and and the payout and 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 you see eight guys around a table like this and and there's this little dish of gold that they've worked for all week. It's worth maybe $60,000. I'm thinking, you're nuts. You, you, worked, you worked 90 hours for that and you got to divide it among all these guys? Seriously? But the lore of gold is powerful. And David, David knows that. As king of Israel, he saw gold beyond everybody's wildest imaginations. And he says here, listen, as, as king, I've seen gold beyond anybody in this room. And I've tasted honey because I'm the king and I get the best of the honey. I've tasted the best of the honey. And let me tell you this, God's word is far more desirable than both those things. And because God's words are sure and righteous, because they are sweet and more desirable than gold, they provide a helpful warning and they provide a promise of reward. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Nobody. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of transgressions. Look at verse 11. David writes, Moreover, by them, by your words, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. As a young man, David met God by studying nature and by studying his word. And in nature, he saw God's power and glory. But in his word, he saw God's holiness and he came face to face with his own sinfulness. But he also discovered God's mercy. He also discovered God's forgiveness. 
And he saw in God's word, God, God loved him enough to warn him. Warn him against sin and its harmful effects. How deceitful. Who can discern his errors? The deceitful nature of sin. We need this warning. We need these warnings from God's word because our nature, although we are born again and we have been set free from the power of sin, we are still battling the ongoing presence of sin. And who can discern his faults? Let me tell you, lots of times I can't discern my faults. Now, Marilyn is really good at discerning my faults as are many of you in this room. Thank God. But most importantly, it is God's word. When we are reading God's word, that God's word speaks to us and shows us our faults. John Bunyan, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, writer of Pilgrim's Progress said this, this book, this book, will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. But David says, not only does God's word warn you, it rewards you. In keeping them, there is great reward. What is the great reward of keeping God's word? What is the great reward of keeping God's word? Huh? Knowing God? Knowing Jesus? No ventures on this one? Yeah, the great reward of keeping God's word is simply what David says here. Keeping God's word warns us and gives us discernment and allows us to keep from presumptuous sins that they will not have dominion over us. Look at verse 13. That the presumptuous sins not have dominion over us. Keeping God's word keeps us in Christ. And then I shall be blameless of innocent and innocent of great transgression because Christ is my mediator. Christ is my reward. And David ends with this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Listen, the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart, the only way that they will be acceptable in God's sight is if they are God's words. D.A. Carson wrote a book on praying God's word. It's a it's called Spiritual Transformation. It's a wonderful book. I would encourage you to get it. But as we head into 2015, I, I am passionately endeavoring that I want to see Grace Church be a church that grows in its love and its passion and its ability to know God's word. And so next week when you show up, there is going to be on the table put together a nice scripture memory program for you for the next year. 
There are going to be a, there's going to be a little ring with cards in it that you can look each day as well as a sheet. It's 25 passages to memorize over 52 weeks, a little less now, but you'll have a year to memorize 25 passages. You don't have to do it. You can memorize 10 passages. You can memorize 20 passages. We're not going to call on anybody on a Sunday morning. Maybe at a picnic, but not on a Sunday morning. (laughs) But the goal is to equip you and to encourage you. And I'm going to challenge my care group to do this. And maybe make a competition out of it to beat Larry Wethge's care group in this. But I want you to know as, as adults, as you memorize God's word, as you speak God's words... It will change the lives of your children. And it will change the lives of those around you in your care group. Because when you're standing in care group, you're sitting and you're talking to one another and you're praying for one another and you're trying to provide counsel, rather than human counsel, you know what's going to come out? It's going to come out what's been meditating in your heart. It's God's Word. Oh, let's jump into 2015 with a passion to glorify God by knowing him more and knowing his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have written your word. You have inspired men to write this word that we might know you, that we might draw close to you. Father, we pray and ask that this coming year you would give us, especially us older people, the ability to memorize scripture. Lord, would you make it possible? And would you please, Father, let this church be a church filled with the word of God that you might be glorified. Oh, Lord, let your word be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet in 2015. In Jesus' name, amen.